So we've been tracking with Jesus in what's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in Matthew chapter 5, and we've just been following through uh, this series. Uh, If you want a a fun little exercise this week, uh, read through Matthew chapter 7 and try to figure out how to get an Easter sermon out of Matthew chapter 7, because I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, So we may jump to another part of Matthew next week just for the sake of it's Easter, right? We have another thing to do that day, Um, but we'll come back and pick up where we leave off today, probably after Easter, unless by some miracle I can figure out how to get an Easter message out of Matthew chapter 7. Read it at home this week and email me if you have any ideas. I'm, I'm totally open, but I need that before Tuesday night. Thank you. Okay. Where was I? We're going to read through Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 34, and I'll just say this as we take up this topic. Jesus has been sort of systematically dismantling people's understanding of themselves and their relationship to God throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's, He's sort of undoing people. And his very first words out of his mouth were, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so he seems to be, some of you, when you read these words with me today, may feel uh, attacked or judged or somehow as if God is condemning you in some way for feeling anxious at times. That's not what's going on. What Jesus is trying to do is speak to a universal, common human condition and draw us to a position of being broken in spirit that we may then inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so he's speaking to something that is common to all of us, and we'll talk about that during the message. And he also, interestingly, paints a a couple of beautiful pictures that we will use as sort of the the metaphor for the sermon that I'm doing today. So here we go, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I'm going to go to that field of lilies. Is that what he says? Yeah. And I'm going to sort of take that. You ever stood in front of a, a painting by one of the masters, a, a landscape that just took your breath away? It just made you feel like you were there. And there's something about nature that is peace-giving, and I want to I sort of take us, we're going to do just a quick little art history lesson here, and I'm going to start with a guy named El Greco, who was born on the island of Crete, and grew up, and was, Crete was owned by an Italian city-state at the time, and so he wound up moving to Italy and learning how to do art. This is during the Renaissance period. He lived in the 1500s, and this is one of the first, do we have that up? If we get to it, uh, then we'll have, yes, okay, so that's a Del Greco, and it's not the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, but it's important because this is the fir- one of the first landscape paintings that was ever done just for the sake of the landscape itself, for the natural beauty that was there. Prior to the Renaissance, all art, all Western art, was dedicated to revealing something spiritual. It was a Greek god or goddess, or it was a biblical scene, or the crucifixion, or the Virgin Mary with her child. It was all aimed at revealing something of the spiritual realm, the 12 stations of the cross, whatever you might uh, want to see. And so this is important because... It's one of the first paintings, not the first, but of a period in which the very first paintings of just the natural beauty of a place were brought out. So we're going to jump a few hundred years now, and some of you uh, may recognize this, this person. Um, but, uh, you know, this is called Impressions Sunset, Sunrise, I believe. And it is, of course, a Monet and it was this painting, actually, that, that gave the name to the Impressionist movement. Monet just called it Impressions Sunrise. That was the, he's very creative in that sense. He's better with art than he was with words. But anyway, um, this is simply intended to bring out the beauty of a moment and just sort of set it in front of you. And he is really experimenting with light and the way that he can manipulate and control light to m- bring out the effects of beauty. Uh, and then we're going to jump to one of his uh, contemporaries. And so this is a Cezanne. Uh, I like this one because it's just beautiful. It simply just makes you want to take a nap, right? And it's very peace-giving. And then we're going to jump to the crazy guy, often called Van Gogh. I think he called himself Van Gogh, but that's not important right now. Um, And uh, this is just one of his landscapes. And even as weird as he was, there's something beautiful here that he is evoking from this scene to give a sense of peace to the viewer. Uh, They were concerned with beauty and the way that their works sort of rested with the people who saw them. And I want to sort of 
take you to that field of lilies, if I would, and sort of start there as a way of suggesting that God has surrounded us with things and people and places that give us peace. He does not want us to live in anxiety. And Scott, you can bring the lights, some of them back up if you would. And uh, so, let me begin with, I'm going to sort of switch, radically switch metaphors for a second. And I, I talked earlier to the kids about my driving. I was recently on I-35, uh, just yesterday, trying to get from Georgetown through Austin back to San Antonio. We did stop and see a, a lacrosse game in the outskirts of Austin, or, or Round Rock, or wherever that was. Um, but uh, there's, does anyone else just have absolute disdain for I-35? Is that universal? Okay. There's, there's perhaps no more greatly hated traffic way than I-35. It's just, and I remember as a kid coming over from Houston to go to New Braunfels or something, and I-35 was under construction. Well, guess what? It's still under construction. Do you know why? Because they have no place to put all those orange barrels. So just do another section. Do it again. Do it again. Move all the traffic over. Do it again. We can't, we don't, can't store all these barrels. Texas isn't big enough. Okay. Yeah, there were, yes, it was. There are more. There are plenty of non-peace-giving traffic ways in this world. Um, but we turned off and took the toll road, the 130. You could go 80 legally. It just feels so right. Um, and they did a very good job this year of spreading out the blue bonnets along 130 and just embankments completely beautifully blue. And so here's where I'm going with the metaphor. This is a call from Christ for us to get out of the fast lane, which maybe I messed it up because if you're on I-35, there is no fast lane. Um, but get off the interstate and take a back road. So we're going to start with that call to, well, get out of the fast lane. All of us, all of us, need to stop driving under the influence of comparison. Jesus is acutely aware that we all do this, that we compare what we have to what someone else has, that we compare how someone else looks to the way we look, that we compare how someone else acts to the way that we act. And we are all self-conscious of these things, and Jesus says, just please put on the brakes and don't drink this drug before you drive through life. It's going to steer you wrong. And so we all are under this call to stop the game of comparison, to realize, as Jesus says, that our anxiety, building anxiety in our hearts, will never add value to our lives. So 
I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave preaching and go into meddling for just a moment. All right? And this is a good week to do that because social media is in the news. Um, Facebook has betrayed their users. And it's just a good moment to stop and realize social media feeds this comparison gene that we all have. It, it, it's like fire and gasoline. We already have a problem in our hearts of comparing ourselves to others, of worrying and becoming anxious over what, we, what they have or what we don't have or how they look or how we don't look. This is a great moment to just stop and say, curb the social media for some time. If you're especially, if you're going through periods of anxiety, the comparison trap that's out there is not going to help. And Jesus is just giving all of us a reminder that we need to slow down and stop comparing ourselves to the people around us. You are beautiful and wonderful as God made you. Just the way he made you is awesome. You reflect aspects of who God is and of his attributes and character in the way you live. And he loves you. And you don't have to compare yourself to everyone around you. So we are then called to stop, to appreciate the masterpiece that you are. To realize that as Jesus reminds us in these words, we are called to trust our creator, that he made you the way he did for a reason. And trust does not come easily to us. We're Americans. We take care of ourselves. And God says to us, will you just slow down and trust me? I've got this. I made you I made the world. I'm going to care for you all the way to the point that I bring you into my presence for eternity. And there will be times where you're freaking out at your circumstances. That's okay. Just remember, I've got this. And so we are also called to know that God knows our needs. Jesus points this out again. It's like everybody looks after these things, but just realize God already knows what you need. He's got this. And so there's a sense in which we all just need to exit from the speed at which we live. Get off of the fast lane, get off of the highway, and onto a back road. And that's the other side of this I want to look at this morning, this call to take a back road, a different view on life where things may go a little slower, but they are far more beautiful. And so God wants us to take in some scenery. When we get so caught up in the comparison game and life is flying by, we don't appreciate what we have. We don't stop to look around and say, actually, this is all beautiful and wonderful and wonderful. 
we don't appreciate what God has given us. And so, in the call to take in some scenery, that which was created, which is beautiful, should, should point us back to the Creator. Let it draw you back to the heart of God. And let His creation inspire you to reflect His righteousness. As we slow down and take in the beauty of life, we are much better poised to reflect the light and love of God to others than we are if we're just speeding down the highway. So, this call to take in some scenery on the back road comes with this need to take in some fresh air. And I want to sort of go back to Mike, if I can, and Anastasi, and just what a, what a beautiful gift that is. Um, you, you come out of a surgery, thankfully, intact and healthy, and yet one of the results of that is the onset, the rapid, unpredictable onset of anxiety. That I might not detect as a human, but God has created a creature that can somehow sense that and come to your side and provide comfort. What a beautiful thing. Um, I, can I just confess for a minute? When, say, my wife is experiencing anxiety, I generally don't detect it and come to her side and provide peace, right? So it's good that God has created things in this world that can do that for us. We often miss each other because we don't slow down. And these little gifts are everywhere. They are. They're everywhere. God has surrounded us with blessing, and we miss it because we don't take our foot off the gas, but it's there, and he wants us to stop and take in a deep breath and enjoy the fresh air. Let me ask you a question. What has God put into your life to give you peace? What has he put into your life to give you peace? I, I was having this conversation with a few of you, and there were two things that, that struck me. One was how universal anxiety is, how common this is to our human experience. It, it's everywhere in everyone, in some way or another. And I don't like to think of myself as an anxious person, but if I'm truly honest, there are things that I'm anxious about. Um, some of them are silly, some of them are pretty real, but the truth is, God has surrounded all of us with gifts that speak peace to our hearts. The second thing that came out in this conversation that I was having with a few of you was the, the role that Scripture can play in bringing peace to our hearts. And so as soon as the topic of anxiety came up, several people who were in the conversation, one, one just threw out 
Psalm 23. You want to talk about a landscape scene? Can we read that together for a moment? Uh, I've got it in the ESV. Uh, If you uh, prefer to read it in the old King James, you may do so. I'm going to have us do this out loud. Um, But I, I want you to hear these words and look at the way God is trying to bring peace to our hearts through his word. And so, we're going to do this out loud. Is that okay? All right? And those of you who, I know Mike wants to do it in the old King James. If that brings you peace, brother, shout it out. All right? You just close your eyes and recite it the way God meant it to be recited. I'm going to do it in the ESV because I speak English. All right. Let's do Psalm 23 together and just hear the peace coming through these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'll just, because this is what I do, I'm just going to point out that word anointed in there is the same word for Messiah. God brings us peace through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. And you have access to him through this to find him alive and present at your side to give you comfort and peace in your life. Another verse that was thrown out almost immediately when the word anxiety was brought up, Philippians 4, 8, and interestingly, um, Philippians 4, 6 begins with, brothers, do not be anxious about anything, okay? And so the follow-up to that thought in this letter from the Apostle Paul, says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That God's word points us back to those gifts that he's given us to bring peace to our hearts. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He created you to reflect who he is. You are a masterpiece created in the image of God. And peace is yours through Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word, for the gift of peace through your son, Jesus Christ, and all that that means to us in our anxious state as humans. Lord, Help us to look past our circumstances to slow down and take in all the beauty that you have surrounded us with, to 
return to your word and find there the signs that point to the love you showed us through your son, that our hearts might find peace eternal even in the midst of the chaos we live in. And Lord, we thank you for that gift and pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and cause us to live in such a way that your glory is reflected in this world, that we might seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.